Welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey where we talk with people who are trying to live their most fulfilling life, which often tends to be on a much different path than it started out on. Whether it was changing careers, getting laid off from a job which sparked their entrepreneurial journey, or breaking through the noise to answer their calling. All of these types of situations and more, but they wouldn't have gotten to where they're at today if they didn't get started. We talk about the why and the how of these getting started moments and the lessons learned along the way. I'm grateful to have you listening in along on this episode, so let's get it started. On this week's episode, please welcome in Brian Rowland, who is a social entrepreneur and founder of Abenity, the six-time Inc. 5000 company that's powering corporate perks for top brands including U.S. Bank and MasterCard. And while Abenity provides millions of subscribers with private discounts, the company's social mission is fighting extreme poverty with every program they deliver. Abenity recently exceeded a million dollars of total giving and hired a CEO to accelerate growth with their fully remote team. Brian lives in Scottsdale with his wife and three daughters and is investing his time in efforts that help like-minded entrepreneurs establish a social mission of their own. Stick around, and we'll provide Brian's phone number at the end of the show so you can connect with him directly. And without further ado, please welcome in Brian Rowland. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you on today. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Good to be interviewed by another Brian. I know. It's always nice and spelled the correct way, which is always good. So I agree. <laughs> Completely agree. Yeah, I I was excited to, uh, as I was looking over some of the stuff to prepare and, and kind of research prior, I was really excited because of some of the things you guys have done. You know, I'm so big on consistency over time and kind of living, you know, certain values, especially, you know, seems like with your business, we'll get into all that. Um, but I always, you know, we're talking today because you've had a lot of success, you know, with the, with the business you started many years ago, and you've obviously transitioned out, I know, into the founder role away from CEO that we'll get into. But can you take me back before we go down the deep rabbit hole there? Like, what was the, what was the thought of even starting the business in the first place? Like when you were growing up, were you, were you kind of in that mindset? Like, I always want to do my own thing. I, I had that entrepreneur kind of you know, entrepreneur spirit, if you will. Can you share a little bit about that before we jump into the deep end? Yeah, no, that's, I like that question. Um, I've always been an, an entrepreneurial. I mean, there's, uh, I've got a VHS recording of me in 1991. So I would have been 11 um, doing a sales pitch on the side of my house for like a school project. Um, I'm like doing the full like shark tank spiel as an 11 year old before that was even a thing. Uh, so I've, I've always done that. I've always had some kind of side hustle. I was teaching trumpet lessons in high school. Um, I was recruiting students. I was, you'd find me at Christmas time, uh, at borders bookstore on the sidewalk playing. I got my horn on my shoulder playing Christmas carols, taking tips. I was making $75 an hour, taking tips, playing Christmas carols Mm. outside, which for you young folks, it helps to be a kid, you know, as a 40 year old playing Christmas carols, I'm not going to make that kind of money. (laughs) What what are you doing? The, uh, and I was usually raising money for some trip or something I was doing as a kid. So that helped. And, you know, I recorded a CD going into college, which brought me to Nashville and, you know, so I always just had something I was, uh, something I was chasing. 
I, I never thought about it. Like, I just want to work for myself. I just mm-hmm. like to chase something down. And, and what happened with the, can I ask with the trumpet? Cause it looked like you were fairly talented in that, yeah. in that realm. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I, I could hold my own. Um, and I, I still have enough to jump in with some things, but um, I, my friends are full on professionals and they, they, uh, trumpet players and they make it really clear the difference between really good and like studio level. Yeah. So the, uh, that was just never, it, it, it came down to the point where it's like for the horn, which I loved and I was pr- pretty proficient, proficient at, uh, you know, to make a living doing that, you have to go on the road. And that was kind of like a lifestyle thing. And so as an entrepreneur and experience is a big part of, um, uh, crafting the experience you want for your users and the experience you want for yourself. Uh, which really is what prompted us into having a fully remote team kind of from day one back in 2006, you know, life on the road, wasn't the experience I wanted. Mm -hmm. And then the compensation you get from doing that was definitely not what I was going, going for out the gate. And otherwise to, to make decent money, you've got to be a studio player. And um, those guys keep their jobs until they die. Uh, You don't, yeah, I mean, when you're a studio musician in these big cities, it's like you you just get better and better every year. You have no reason to stop and everybody wants the best. And so, yeah, you, you play until you die. So young kids don't have a great opportunity to disrupt that in yeah. the music industry, hmm. for sure. When you were uh, before you started the business, like what did you do any like odd jobs after college or anything like and yeah, all kinds of odd jobs. I was always doing something. I mean, I was working in Office Depot. I was doing concessions at AMC movie theaters. I I was setting up weddings at the Belmont Mansion uh, on campus when I was in college. You know, I was, I was kind of doing my own thing as I could, trying to play my horn to make money. I was doing some of that. So lots of odd jobs. Um, I interned in the music industry, and honestly, it just was one of those points where it felt like, it was just, um, I, I was just babysitting people uh, older than me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just wasn't entrepreneurial enough for me. So I, I took a sales job and uh, selling cell phones. And that's what really led to kind of the catalyst moment where I had the idea for what we're doing now. And that's one of those things that's always intriguing me is the going from those type of roles and then all of a sudden saying, okay, I'm going to actually start a software as a service business. How did you get, can you, can you share, and maybe it's a, there's a story or two in there. Cause I think you started with your brother. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We started, well, that's what I like the title of your podcast, the get started. That's kind of one of the mantras that when I'm talking to young entrepreneurs, it's like, man, just, just get started, like show up. Like one of the life lessons that I think we can all pull from in any situation is to just show up. Like you, you're, you're going to discover so much by just showing up and leaning into your curiosity is, is a big way to do that. And so, you know, I think, I think in everything, it's just kind of that showing up. Now, when I was selling cell phones, I saw so many sales reps come and go because it was an outside sales job. I mean, it was essentially like hit your quota uh, or work your way out the door kind of situation. Um, it was 
probably 20% base, 80% commission at first. And so it was, it, it was a hard role. And I've seen so many good sales folks that, uh, that have this never met a stranger kind of personality. They just connect with people right away, but they lack the execution and they lack the follow through to, to chase it down and close it. And so you, you really have to have um, as an entrepreneur, this really interesting blend of, of vision first, which I think is the hard part for a lot of people because you, you can't really fake vision. You, you have to have a vision for something. Mm-hmm. And then you, you have to be able to connect with people and you have to be able to deliver whatever content or product or services it is that you're doing. And you have to be able to follow up and then you have to be able to close the deal. And that's a that's a unique package that uh, sets the barrier to entry in entrepreneurship pretty high. And so I, I do remember that time where I had the idea. I was like, oh, man, if we could bridge the gap between, uh, you know, these these two areas, you know, I think this could be something. And it turned out it was something. But I also remember being uh, afraid to mention it to my friends and I remember uh, assuming that my brother, who was the software developer and he was in college at the time, was going to look at the size and scope of what I was thinking and be like, nah, I'm not spending my time doing that. <laughs> and so I remember talking myself out of it um, right away. Um, now, looking back, this is 13 years ago, I have friends that have reminded me they said, I remember when we came over to your apartment and you basically presented your idea to us. And, uh, and I did talk to my brother and I be, remember being surprised that he's like, that sounds like a good idea. Um, and so I also remember not being super confident about it. And I went to my boss at the time and I said, I think this is a good idea that could make us money. Um, you know, would you, would you let me work this into what I'm doing here? And thank goodness he said he stayed in his lane and he's like, no, that's not what we do here. We, we're, we sell phones. Um, we don't build platforms for this, you know, this loyalty marketing thing that you're interested in in building to help deliver perks for employees. And so, um, you know, thankfully he was a good entrepreneur and he kept the main thing, the main thing. Uh, and I had to be brave enough to be like, all right, well, I'm gonna have to do it on my own. And, and, and I think that that step, I don't really remember it, but that step of rallying some friends together in a room and just saying, Hey, here's what I'm thinking that, that that's a, a soft step of accountability that helps you get started. Um, and yeah, there's the, always the fear of failure. Uh, but you have that no matter what. And I still have that to this day. And I've, uh, I've failed way more times than uh, what, what works. The, the good thing is uh, the part that's working it continues to cover up the failures and keeps you moving forward. So, yeah. Well, you know, it's good though, that group, and I've heard this from a lot of folks that, you know, have been what you, you consider successful. They've, they've seen behind the curtain, if you will, um, from a business side and, and growing a company. And those early days of asking, and getting beat up really for the idea. Like, yeah. like it, like I had one guy told me, he was like, Brian, you've been, you know, I was talking about different ideas and stuff. He's like, 
you want people to say the idea sucks. You want them to kind of beat you up and because then you get to see the, maybe the things that you're the peripherals, you know, like you're not thinking about because you have such a, you know, the rose colored glasses on. So is that something, do you remember, like, did folks not beat you up on it, but they'd say like, Hey, what have you thought about that? Or is that a good idea? Are you sure you want to do this? Did that help at all? Or did you get a lot of like, that's great. Go for it. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh, it's, it's a question that's clouded by my many in, endeavors and attempts over the years. So I, I have had a good bit of that. Um, I've, I've come to call it, uh, generally, I come to the table with this wow uh, kind of idea. In, in my mind, it's a wow. And generally, the really talented people that I've surrounded myself with um, forget to acknowledge the wow and they just attack the how. And yeah. it's just like this constant battle between the wow and the how. And that's really demotivating for a creative uh, entrepreneurial mm -hmm. kind of person because you can't tell me there's not a way to do it. Um, yeah. You know, it, it goes, it goes back. It's, it's the Amazon unbound book where I was told where, in the pre-show we were talking, Bezos was like, wait, a single patty is a hamburger patty comes from a hundred different cows. And you, let's make, let's make a hamburger patty from one cow. And there's, there's all kinds of adversity for that. Starting from the why, which I think is a very valid <laughs> question. Yeah. If that's not the way the industry does it, but you know, it's, it, it is this wow idea, this kind of purist. And, and so lots of entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurs are shot down because people get stuck on the how instead of really focusing on the wow. And, mm. and you, you can figure out the how in almost every situation. And there's a level of risk that you always have to be willing to take. And that's mostly all the hows are coming from risk analysis. The yeah, but, but, but. And you, and you just have to be willing to put yourself out there. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I like, I mean, and, and you're right. I mean, you kind of find a way, especially if you believe enough in the idea and, and, and really the mission behind it, which I want to get into too, if you believe in that so wholeheartedly, right, you can figure out the other stuff. And I guess it's good to know those or, or have those like, hey, these are ideas we should consider. But yeah, figuring out a way to navigate. They're not roadblocks, if you will, right? They're just a, I, another checkpoint on the, uh, on the journey. Absolutely. And I think it's really important to keep in mind that the complexity of any vision. So when you have a vision for something and, and it's based on your experience, it's based on your insights, it's based on whatever has gotten you to the point where you're like, this could be something. Mm -hmm. You have to remember the information gap that everyone else has where they can't see that vision all the way. Mm -hmm. And so time and time again, you hear through stories, you're like, I thought this person was crazy. Um, but they really showed me after, you know, I trusted them and I followed them and I took it through and they really showed me how it works. And so you have to, you have to trust your ability to understand and the in intuition you have for the complexities that nobody else can see. And you have to give the people that are kind of attacking you some credit because they just don't have all the information. They can't see all the complexities. And so, 
you need to take what they're saying with a grain of salt. Uh, and you need to, and you, and it's a good way to kind of road test the idea. And I think stress testing everything is super important before you get too far with it. But it's, but that alone is not a good, a good enough reason to pre- prevent you from moving forward. Uh, unless the insights that they're bringing really rattle the foundation of what you were thinking. Um, But don't let the negativity stop you from getting started. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, so how did, how did you and your brother get this thing kicked off? I mean, because if I recall, you guys have never taken any outside investment. This has all been bootstrapped kind of growth, right? Yeah. Um, So like, what did the first year look like? Like, were you scratch your head? Like, what the heck are we doing? Or like, were you, did things move along progressively well as how, how did that first maybe year ago? I'll say. Yeah. I, th- I think uh, the confidence that we had in what we were doing was kind of kept us from having a lot of, a lot of big questions. We also had nothing to lose. So it, it was for context, it's 2006. Um, my brother's in his final year of his master's degree. Um, He's not married, no kids. I was in my oh, fourth or fifth year of full-time employment as in sales um, and wasn't married, no kids. And I, I met my wife the, the year that we started the business. Um, so I was just like socializing the idea with her, but it wasn't a thing yet. Um, and so, you know, we didn't have much to lose. And then my brother is, I, he's, I've always kind of referred to him as our secret weapon. He's this trifecta of, he's a graphic designer, he's a front-end developer, and he's a back-end developer slash database architect all in one. Uh, his master's degree really was in the convergence of those three elements. And so he's a brilliant guy. I mean, we, I remember a weekend where um, after I had gotten married, and we did something fun. I was like, what'd you do? And he's not married yet. And he's like, well, you know, those, you know, that little bear that you squeeze and it plays a song or whatever is, you know, stuffed animal thing. I was like, yes. He's like, well, I, I wrote a software, I wrote a software and I, and I wired up a circuit board and I connected the two so that every time our traffic hits a certain level, the bear goes off. I was, just, <laughs> I was like, like, well, that's, that's really sad and really cool all at the same time. <laughs> so he's, he's just that kind of guy. He's just, he's just brilliant. This way of combining the tangible and the digital worlds. And, and so we, we just ran forward with a lot of confidence. This was before responsive web design as well. So building websites was a lot more simple. Um, apps weren't really happening yet in the app store um, at a, at a large scale. And so it was very simple to get started back then. In fact, in 2006, I mean, our first three customers were uh, Oracle, U.S. Bank, uh, or sorry, Oracle, the U.S. Army, and um, the Walt Disney Company. U.S. Bank's a, cu- a customer now. And, um, it, and it was more of a conversation around, hey, you know, will this service help you? Uh, and it was just a quick yes. This is, this is very helpful. Um, there was no restrictions or compliance conversations or security audits or anything to really work through. I mean, in the day we were working with a one page contract, just, Mm. it was, it was so much simpler to get a SaaS platform off the ground back then. Uh, 
I'm sure it's possible now, but it would be very difficult to bootstrap a SaaS application for Fortune 500 companies today without a lot of resources um, because you just have to do so much before you can even get started uh, with the companies. Is there anything, so if someone's in that position, they're listening in, they're like, you know, yeah. I'm going down that route actually. Um, is yeah. there one or two considerations or questions you'd have them ask of themselves or, or where they're going to help maybe, you know, yeah. make you uncover some of those things? It, it's just, the, the security assessments and the things that you have to attest to doing in, in the areas of data privacy and compliance those are really the the heavy lifts when you're building a SaaS platform and trying to get a Fortune 500 company to use it. Um, and so, you know, generally it takes expensive third-party audits in advance, um, attesting to the security and performance of your platform. And it takes, uh, you know, it takes multiple databases out the gate. I mean, you really just have to know how how to build for a fortune 500 company so you, you need to do some research to really understand all those pieces that are going to bottleneck you from from getting there in, in the first place starting a SaaS platform in today's world for um you know the this the direct to consumer or small businesses is is a lot is a lot easier because they're not applying the same level of scrutiny. Um, now to do a SaaS product, right. You know, it takes a good bit of investment on the front end to have all the pieces in place. And, but it's not impossible to bootstrap a SaaS product these days. Um, I, I think you just have to work your way up slowly to the, the big guys, the fortune 500s, because they're going to bring you a lot of things that you're just not going to be ready for. And, I think the best advice there is to build your SaaS platform for the customers that will use it right away and get, get you the momentum that you need so that you can get to the level where you're introducing it to the big guys mm. um, and then scaling it from there. Starting from the top, like we did is not super realistic any anymore. And I wouldn't even advise it. it it gets your mind focused on other things other than the customer because they're, they're focused on other things. Uh, and so they, they force your focus to be on other things. Yeah. Um, one of the other things y'all did that was, I would have to think was unique at that time, or at least it wasn't as prominent just because the way, you know, social media was still not even there, but like going with more of a mission focused business. So more social entrepreneurship, which again, nowadays is like a big thing, right? Yeah. Back in 06, I mean, I could be wrong. Um, no, you're right. I don't think it was a big thing back then, right? No, Blake Makovsky from Tom Shoes was tromping around South America um, right. that same year that we launched our social mission. Um, he was observing the levels of poverty and he's observing the kids with no shoes. And he's like, man, if we sold a pair of shoes and we gave a pair of shoes to get to put shoes on these kids' feet, like that would be something meaningful to work towards and that's essentially the same mindset that i was coming from at the time i i did well selling phones i i built a a, a pretty good inside sales group at the place i was that was producing good volume and 
And I was, uh, within a couple of years, I was making more money than my dad had ever made doing sales. I mean, that's a benefit of a sales job and it can pay really, really well, uh, if you're willing to work hard enough and, and money was just never how I measured success. And so it was, it was just a tool that I used to kind of propel whatever vision it was that I was chasing. And so really that, why, why am I working so hard? for this cell phone thing. Um, when, you know, I'm not, when, if anything is like as a 23 year old kid making six figures, it's kind of like, I, I don't even know what to do. Like it opens up a whole lot of new doors and, um, and to, to work through just managing the money and all this kind of stuff. And, and so it, it sounds stupid, but that, the burden of managing it was frustrating because <laughs> it wasn't a creative process. <laughs> and so, um, you know, and you have to remember I was single and I didn't have kids. I was only responsible for myself. And so it was different too, back in the day, but the, uh, the deepest why I could as could come up with in the cell phone space was, was like, Oh, I'm helping, I'm helping families save money on their cell phone bills. Um, and that's not a bad thing. I need there to be an output to a cause for every input into the business. I don't want to get into an, another situation where I can't really uncover my why I can't remember my why. And the business is going to be hard. This, I know it's going to be hard. I know it's not going to be as fun as it is now someday. Um, it, at least in short in periods of time where there's adversity. Um, so that why needs to be outside of the brand because I need to be fighting for something outside of the brand. And so at the time we're like, well, what's the biggest problem we can think of? And so we landed on extreme poverty and my wife had been to a concert a number of years earlier where they, where they had a child sponsorship program with a group called world vision. So we, we started looking into world vision and we're like, wow, they, they address poverty from inside the United States all the way uh, across the world. And, and so really we, we committed a percentage of our profits to uh, world vision so that we had an output to, to fight against. It really was just a check we wrote at the end of the year for the first couple of years. And that was essentially where we started getting off track again. You know, we didn't, we, we had a vision, but we, we hadn't really created a mission around it. We saw it as a mission, but it wasn't a true mission. And so I got to the point where I was like, nah, this, this, there needs to be something that we're, that we're doing more and more. And, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs are stuck in this, this spot of generosity, which is not a bad place to be, but they're cutting a check at the end of the year and it's good for, and, and, and it's very generous and it's very nice, but they're doing maybe something different every year. And, and essentially it's out of sight, out of mind throughout the rest of the year. And, mm -hmm. and so we started to pull it in, into sight, uh, into view. We started sponsoring a child with every new customer that kind of qualified for that. And that got it into the lifeblood of what we're doing. So we, you know, we're, we're taking a dozen new customers every month or whatever. And so, um, we, we'd attach a child sponsorship to that subscription. And so the subscription fee basically matched the percentage that we wanted to give. 
And so that was, that was a, a nice attachment. Now that we just kept that internal again. And it wasn't until 2014, just six years ago that we said, why aren't we, why aren't we sharing this kind of social mission we have with the other people around us? Why aren't we being more inclusive with our own internal team about the inner workings of this and, and what we're giving to and, and everything. And so that is really what opened my eyes up to kind of the, the unexpected perks of the social mission is this idea, um, which, which I wrote about and broke down on, on my brianroland.com site. And it, it's, it's really what we uncovered was when we opened up about our giving and we shared it publicly and we shared the cause we were chasing after we, we were, we were first really surprised that, um, it be, it became a competitive advantage point in our space. Like it, it became a bullet point that people were comparing us against in a, in a favorable way. And we started having customers saying, Hey, we really like what you're doing. Um, we want you to, um, you, you know, we align with that. And, um, and so that, that was really exciting. And, um, so that, that's kind of the number one thing that I think is important for entrepreneurs that are, you know, impact focused, but also conscious of the impact to their bottom line. Like it, giving money is a negative impact to your bottom line. Like it, it takes from your bottom line. There's, there's no way around that. Now your top line can see some growth because of the, the, the way you're communicating it. And, and so we, we definitely saw that we were gaining new customers with that. Um, outside of that, it, we started it to give me me meaningful work um, in what I was doing next. Well, our team really adopted everything that we were doing and it provided meaningful work for our team as well. So yeah. it gave a lot of purpose to the people working with us. And, and what was cool about that was it kind of shaped our whole team around the same cause. So this really difficult kind of cultural problem of, you know, how do we build a healthy culture, especially with a fully remote team? Um, it aligned our culture in a really healthy way. And, and that really led to a shared purpose uh, on the team. And, and that shared purpose was extremely valuable in our remote focused environment. Um, we started building our KPIs and our, our metrics around, um, you know, the outputs that we're doing. So instead of counting new customers, we count new kids that were sponsored. And, and so that brought it in house more. And, and ultimately what we found was we had, when, when we looked up six years later, we had built this really powerful community around our cause that went all the way from from our suppliers to our own team, to our, to our, um, customers, to even recognition within our industry that this is what we're about and how we're different. And, and, and that is what, that is kind of the power of a social mission that I think un, many entrepreneurs are missing and the entrepreneurs that are just cutting a check every year and even giving to something different every year, they're, they're really losing a lot of, leaving a lot of impact on the table if they would pick something consistent um, and they would just, and they would give to it and they would share what they're giving to, uh, then that creates this 
brand story that they can take and really efficiently scale out um, into their industry. And it, it, it leads to all those same things. Um, yeah. It's probably a good time to say it. I, I, I took those and I, I took kind of our impact plan because, uh, and, and I put it into a one pager. So okay. I've got, I've got a phone number people can text to get the, the one pager. If, if that, if they want to figure out how to build a social mission of their own, it's, it's a, it's a fill in the blank kind of scenario, but here are the five things to build a social mission for your business. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Share the number and then I'll uh, link it up in the show notes as well. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Text the word impact to area code 615-802-6853. And then you'll just immediately get back the one page impact plan. Uh, once you join my community there and um, you can fill that out and personalize it for your business and all, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and I think too, you know, like, listen, we live in a world where probably some companies just create some sort of pseudo mission to like get publicity. But the reality is I think injecting it into your culture and making all the employees like a part of the, that process, that's such a huge thing to do because it does give that purpose to the work that you're, you know, you're creating. Um, so well, and, oh. in corporate social responsibility is not a new thing. I mean, that's yeah. been around for decades and decades, but that is, that's what you just said is the difference between a social mission yeah. and corporate social responsibility. And you have to kind of remember there are three buckets kind of in the, the enterprise space. I mean, you've got nonprofits who are pretty much fundraising um, for their cause. Mm -hmm. You've got the social entrepreneurs in the middle and the social businesses. Um, and they are using their platform uh, to generate the funding for their cause. And then you've got the for-profit private, uh, which is also private sector. Um, and the for-profits are doing corporate responsibility, which is really a bullet is really a check box for their investors to show that they're doing something good in the community. They're doing it for tax benefits. It's mm -hmm. the, um, and, and it's not ingrained into the culture and it's why it doesn't have this permeating effect that a social mission has, um, outside of, outside of the story that you're building around your mission for your brand, there's not a big difference between corporate social responsibility and a social business. It's one as one's mission is to impact the cause that you're fighting for and you're being consistent and you're telling people what you're going to do and you're sticking to it. Corporate response, social responsibility is like, you know, when X, Y, Z happens, we cut a check and we give it, but you know, we don't, we don't really tell anybody about it. It's, it's that department does it. Um, we do it for a number of motivations. Maybe we're trying to win affluence within a certain community. Maybe it's for a tax benefit. Maybe, right. um, maybe it's just a charitable ambition of the founder, but we're not building a story around it. And, um, there, there's a lot of impact that's being left on the table when you're, when you have a very reactive giving strategy like that one. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things I thought was interesting, again, just looking at the timeline in, in 06 was um, y'all deciding to do remote work. Yeah. When remote work was, well, you can go yeah. into your opinions on what's going on nowadays, obviously, with 
folks come back in the office, but the remote work back then, what was that? Was part of that out of necessity at the beginning or was that, is that something, did you have some idea? Like what was the idea? I guess, why go? It was purely convenience for us. Um, We just kind of fell into it. So my brother was in California when he was finishing up his master's degree and we're starting to build the business. And I was in Nashville we were both really happy where we were and we had phone and we had internet and we communicated very well together. So that's all we needed. And, um, we, we got through those early days with, uh, just the strength of communication that, you know, maybe only brothers can, can have. Mm -hmm. Um, and and we did a lot of extra things that just need to be done to kind of help over communicate and cast vision and stuff. We did not do a lot of video. There really wasn't good video back then. In fact, most of the time when we started getting into places where we were trying Google Hangouts and these things, they just they didn't have the bandwidth to um, inspire us to be anything but frustrated. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, we we didn't lean on video very hard. Um, but we, it was, it was really that, that communication bond that we had and the commitment to be where we were. Uh, when it came to hiring employee number three, we had somebody that we really liked. This would be our, our first full-time hire outside of me and Mark. Um, we had somebody we really liked and she worked, uh, her husband is in the military. So they moved around every few years. And she was awesome, a lot of trust, a lot of respect. And it just kind of came down to, it was like, well, you know, can she do what we need her to do from, you know, this other state? She was moving to, I think, uh, D.C. at the time. And she's been all over. And, I mean, we've, we had an employee work from Guantanamo Bay in Cuba for a number of years. And um, it's, and it just became, we really put the people over the process. And, um, you know, you just, you end up disrupting the norms of, uh, the business kind of typical business when you put people first, uh, which is kind of funny, uh, but that, that just continues to happen. And so again, that same phone number, we, we don't have to put it in the details, but if you type rules and to that, you'll get my rules of engagement for remote teams, which is really how to build and maintain a healthy remote team structure. Um, really my main rule is to stop sending internal emails. Um, internal emails is the crazy train. It sets you up for failure. And so I've broken out in that one page or what to do instead of, of that. So, um, text rules to that same phone number and, um, you'll get, you'll get those kind of tips on, on how to do that. Uh, I think another, um, I think another really important thing for a healthy remote team is, would just drive corporate America crazy. Um, but the, the secret is that people need to be allowed to prioritize their personal lives over their work lives. So this whole idea of work-life balance, which is a big part of HR, which is a big part of what we do and the clients we serve is kind of has it backwards from the beginning. It's putting work before life. And that's not necessarily what they mean by that. But if any employee walked into their boss and said, um, I would like to revisit our strategy for how I'm prioritizing my personal life over 
the job that you have for me here, mm-hmm. your boss would look at you and say, um, I'm sorry, what, what did you just say? <laughs> you said you're, you want to put yourself before the work. And so when it comes to building a healthy remote team, I'm a true believer that it only works when you allow people to prioritize their personal life over their work life. And a lot of that is the environment. People are working from home. And so they, their environment is taking precedent. Um, they're not in your office. They're not in your space. And so um, you need to have enough trust and respect for the person to allow them to get the job done. And so instead of managing their activity, did they clock in at eight o'clock and clock out at five o'clock? Well, you need to do what any good manager should be doing anyway and, and measuring their output. Did they, right. did they get their goals done? Because right. if they got their goals done and they reached the metrics that you wanted them to reach, why does it matter when and where they did it from? And so you really have to let go as a manager, as an owner, and hire people you trust. That's where the social mission part comes in and building a culture that's really healthy, that's all aligned. And um, my, my biggest fear right now with uh, the situation in 2020 causing remote work to go rampant is that lots of people got a false positive on remote work. They've been afraid to try it. They've been afraid to let go. They weren't sure about productivity. They weren't sure uh, uh, about security and the technology and how to make it all work. And so they were forced to figure all that out. And their trust, they were forced to kind of trust that this process works. But it, it was all based on a false positive foundation, which um, goes back to the, the reason it worked really well is because the entire company in 2020 um, and into 2021 had a shared purpose. They were fighting for something outside of themselves. In fact, they were fighting against something outside of themselves. They rallied together to, to fight against this inven- invisible enemy, um, this invisible virus, so that the company would survive, so that they would survive and be as, and with as little disruption as possible. And that shared purpose led to all the same unexpected perks I went through before. Um, it, it brought shared purpose in, it, it aligned the team around a common cause, and it created community in a unique way that was new for everybody. And that created this initial bond that gave this like two thumbs up for remote work. It, well, the challenge is that enemy is dissipating and those bridges that were built to these remote islands that everybody works on are retracting. And pretty soon, if you built your business, uh, if you revamped your business with remote work um, and you're leaving it that way into 2022, um, you're going to find yourself with a bunch of people on islands that, that aren't working effectively and well together is because the enemy's gone. There's no longer a shared purpose. And that's why that social mission becomes a really important piece of your cultural development if you're running a fully remote team. equally if you're going to like flex and you're letting some people be remote, but you're pulling other people back in, it's like this half in half out is a really dangerous strategy too, because uh, all people aren't being treated, treated the same. And, and so, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks don't, a lot of folks would love to work at home, but can't because their home environment is maybe not ideal. So, 
if you're like, oh, the accounting department, everything's virtual, it's all numbers, it's all email. So they can they can work from home, they can stay home if they want to. Well, one of the accountants might not have a big enough place. They might have little kids at home. They might have something in that environment that's not healthy for them. And so they have to come into the office when they would love to be remote. And then somebody else could have the opposite situation. And it's just, that's going to create resentment between people because of factors that are outside of your control as, as the employer. The best way for a remote work to work is um, in a partial way is to say, you know, you're welcome to remote work from home if you want to. We have office space if you want to. Let them decide because, uh, you know, then you don't have this situation. You, you know, you'll find yourself with, you know, the introverts happy at home and the extroverts coming in and everyone's treated equally and able to do what fits them best. Yeah. But it, it's, it's, it hasn't been a great way to transition to remote work for a lot of companies and, and those that really enjoyed it. Um, I'm afraid they have a false positive and they're going to have to really focus on culture and figure out how to maintain that common bond uh, once the years of COVID are behind us. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to the, the whole wor the work week thing. I'm not sure how much you guys think about this, but you mentioned it's like, what are the outcomes? Like, okay, if we're setting up this week, what are our outcomes this week? Well, if I could work, I'll just throw myself in the hat. Like if I can work 30 hours on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and get all my stuff done, do I need to work there? Maybe third, maybe I need those extra days to kind of recharge because I go hard. Other right. people, maybe they're better off working two to four hours a day for six days. I don't know. I'm just making that up. But like, yeah. that's another thing, that whole work day of like, you got to work these hours. And that's an old school mentality of the factory work of you come in here, you, you clock in, then you clock out, right? Yeah. How do you guys think about that at, at your organization? Yeah, we, we went to an unlimited PTO policy in the last year with really just based on this kind of trust and respect for our team members. Really, the idea of that is we, we want you to be healthy and take the time that you need. And we trust you to take the time that you need while getting your work done. Mm -hmm. And um, you don't need me to tell you that you have five, you know, full PTO days this month, if you're new, or you have 10, if you've been here five years and you have 20, if you've been here 10 years, like that's great, but I'm putting you in a box that may or may not be real for you. And if I trusted you to do what was best for you and best for us, well, then you're going to take the days that you want. And so for the guys that have more days, when we had more days, we'd find, you know, they weren't using them because they were in it for us and they're working hard throughout the year. And then the end of the year would come and it'd be the use it or lose it scenario. And it's like half the company would disappear for the last two weeks of the year for no reason at all, besides they wanted to not lose it. And mm -hmm. so as opposed to forcing them to take it at a time that was maybe not the best time for them, we just opened it up and said, use it when you want to use it. And uh, we want you to be healthy and, you know, don't stress about, we don't want the company to hold you back from doing something that's important to you. Um, and at the same time, you know, we trust you to make decisions that are going to work best for the company. And when you have a fully remote environment too, I mean, you got people that are checking in. I, my team roams around the country on their, they do their vacations and they work along the way at the same time. And there's a lot of that. And um, so I'm, I'm really happy about that. I feel like my, 
biggest interest in a fully remote team over the years has been to allow my team to have more time with their family. Mm-hmm. I know personally for me, it's been very important for me to not just disappear for eight to 10 hours a day um, and miss my kids in the morning. And, and then, you know, just see them right before bed. It's like working from home allows me to have uh, be, to interact with them briefly throughout the day and maintain a, a closer relationship there. And, you know, we've all had to learn how to balance that in the last year and a half too, is, you know, you, you have to, you have to be disciplined inside your home and make sure everybody knows when and where and how to approach you. And, you know, if the doors close, like, you know, don't knock, we might be recording a podcast and kind of thing. I'm still getting my son to understand the, uh, the door being closed. It's been over a year, but (laughs) you know what my kids, you know what my kids did, they took, um, green yellow and red construction paper yeah. i didn't even ask them to do this they did this on their own they taped a string behind the back and they got a, a clip and they just clipped it to which one i was so it was like red means don't knock yellow means you can knock and green means you know just come in or whatever so that was i thought that was a cool solution yeah. that they did for kind of minding that gap yeah well, let me ask you this, because we've gone a good amount of time here. We've got a good discussion around this. If I could ask you, because I do want to get your insights on transitioning from the CEO of the company to this founder role, right? You, you kind of mm-hmm. stepped yeah. away from the CEO role. I guess, what are the what was the reason you went that route? And then maybe even more importantly is like, what could others learn from that decision? Like, why did you decide to go that route? How has it been impactful either positively or negatively, I guess, I don't know, um, for the company? Yeah, no, that's great question. Well, I essentially was spinning up a new idea every 15 to 18 months for the business. Um, just kind of as the idea guy, that's just kind of my way. And, um, instead of being branded a serial entrepreneur for it, each, each idea became kind of a new revenue center inside of Abenity. Um, And so we spun up most of our ideas to mature and enhance and do more with our product. And that was just, that was always really fun for me. And I, I I was always going through a a cycle of content and connecting. So I'd, I'd spend six months building and scoping out the content and we'd implement it. And then I'd spend six months of connecting. And then I just kind of continued to do this rotation. Well, we, we hit a point um, in 2015 where um, the latest big idea that everybody thought was cool and liked and um, was something that aligned with what we were doing, but it was different enough that, um, that it didn't fit in 100%. And then the, the team was just, we've been growing so fast and so much that the, the team was busy and nobody had, nobody had the ability to take this on. And, you know, bootstrapping, we're not loaded with cash, but we had enough cash to pursue the idea. So we ended up building it as a separate brand and, um, and hiring a third party to help us with the software development and all that, which is the first time we'd ever not developed in-house. And so it was a totally separate thing. So I went off and I did the separate thing and Abenity stayed Abenity and kept doing their thing. And uh, it was just this diverse, it, 
it, it ended up being this step outside of the vision uh, that I couldn't see in the moment. And um, this extra thing uh, brought confusion to the main thing. Um, it started draining resources from the main thing. And at a certain point, it just became clear as the, you know, the opportunity cost of pursuing this, um, the opportunity cost to the main thing is significantly more than I realized. And so we, uh, we decided to spin that down and stop pursuing that. And around the same time, it was just time for me to kind of take inventory of everything. And it was really this realization is like our business has entered this new level of maturity where we're not, we have what we need. Our, our product is strong and supported and our, we don't need new ideas to, to add value. And um, the new ideas are disruptive. And so it was just kind of this, this realization, like as CEO, um, when I'm such an idea guy, you know, what the business needs is more accountability and uh, more focus and drilling down in, into certain areas. And those are not areas that I would stay a healthy version of myself in. And, and so we just had a really tough conversation as a team and we, we just kind of looked around and, and we said, and really just had an honest conversation. This is really as an executive team, kind of the five of us core folks at the, um, in the C-suite area and just saying, you know, this, the whole weight of the company doesn't need to be on your shoulders anymore. You know, we've been doing this for 13 years. We've got a lot of momentum. We've, we've got a lot going for us. Um, you know, it's, it was a moment where I could either trust my team um, and step into what's the next thing for me personally uh, and my involvement in it. Um, or just try to control the process and um, tell everybody what to do. And I chose to listen and trust the team and kind of took a big faith step stepping out. And we had the right leaders and we had everybody we needed to. Um, but, you know, it, it took um, it took a big step of faith. That was this is it's we're going on. It's been a year and a half ago at this point. And it was it was probably the healthiest decision I've made in my professional career um, is feels so nice to go from wearing, you know, so many hats um, to just wearing one. And um, the, it, it's been a, it's been a wonderful transition. Now <clears throat> it's really taken me uh, out of the centralized role from the team intentionally. And so it's been more of a hard thing to get used to. And, um, you know, the, I've, I've heard a lot of stories about entrepreneurs having exits and being all excited about the exit. And then they wake up the day after the exit and they don't have a team. They got money in the bank. They don't have a team anymore. You know, their purpose is gone. It's like a reset button. Everything that they had, they lost with the exit and everything they have now, which is, you know, financial in a lot of ways, you know, is, people you hear it all the time but financial wealth is is not a fulfilling you know that's not really fulfilling <laughs> right and so um i've had a 
I've had a little bit of navigating, you know, I I'm still involved in the culture and everything, but I'm not running the team. I'm not a part of the day to day. There's stuff I'm, I'm on the, you know, I get the monthly updates and stuff and I'm learning about stuff going on. I'm like, wow, that's cool. Um, but that time has allowed me to really step aside and debrief what has worked for us over the last 10 years. And I think that's been the most fun because that's, that is what has given me the time and flexibility to be here talking to you and, and has gotten me really excited about telling entrepreneurs how much hidden impact there is kind of within the generosity that they already have. And um, if you can just stop planning to give and make a plan around your giving, there's so much potential you'll unlock for your business. It's just sitting right there. Hmm. Well, so I like to, let me end on this one, because I always like to ask, um, especially with your kind of winding road um, of this journey, if you had to go back to that trumpet player, maybe in high school, right? Um, what would you share kind of as a, a life lesson? Maybe it's a quote, maybe it's an insight. One of the most impactful things that you could share with that, that young Brian um, that might help them along on their journey. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. Um, I, you know, I think it's what I, I think it's what I shared in the beginning. Um, and that is just to show up. And I think so many life lessons are learned by just showing up and, um, and really that aligns well with the title of your show. It's, it's, it's just getting, it's getting started. And I, I just think for that driven, entrepreneur I just related to that so much like it's just so easy to be so focused on the future that today doesn't matter and so focused on not doing or doing again what happened in the past that the present doesn't matter and I just think showing up being present where you are being grateful for what you have um you know it's not a replacement for hustle. It takes hustle to, to get anywhere that you're trying to go, but where there's vision, you'll have hustle. And so show up, be present. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's, work, that's I'm great. still working on it. Well, I think we all are, but I, I think the be present thing, it's something I've focused a lot on more recently, let's say over the last four to six months. And it's definitely helped of like, yeah, sure. You can set goals and you can have, you know, your, I call my North star, like I got it out there, but if I'm only thinking about that, I forget about this conversation. I don't put, you know, time into what's coming up today. And, and you're so focused on something that hasn't happened yet. I, I talk a lot about the worry, right? The fear, anxiety, all that stuff. It's all it is, is just, it's an imagination, right? right. Yeah. Seneca has a great quote with that, right? Of We suffer more often in imagination and then reality. It's like, it's all in the future. It hasn't happened yet. So we can potentially change it. Why don't we focus on today to maybe change the future? You know? Right. So that's good. Yeah. This has been awesome. This has been awesome, man. Where, uh, where's the best place people can say hello to you? I know you, you will get the phone number. Um, I'll I'll put it in the show notes, but where else can they say hello if they wanted? Yeah. So, um, I never got to introduce really Abenity, but Abenity is doing corporate perks for companies of all sizes. We've got a, a, 150 bucks off your first month. So if you have less than 150 employees, you can have the same perks that we do for MasterCard and U S bank and these big companies. Awesome. Um, the, the code get started will 
give you that first month free for that small business plan. You can get that at abenity.com. Um, I'm really, I'm in a great season. I'm just looking to connect with folks and kind of help them as they're trying to make a bigger impact with their businesses. So you can reach me on that phone number that I gave out earlier. And, um, I'll, I'll give that, I'll give that again here. It's area code 615-802-6853. Just text the word impact to get my impact plan. Um, text the word rules to get the rules of engagement for a fully remote team and join the form. It comes straight to me. It's a text message. So we can, we can tee up a conversation that way as well. And, um, love to help everybody on their journey and hopefully get to a place where they're, they're making a, a much bigger impact with what they're doing because of it. Awesome, Brian. I really enjoyed this conversation, man. Thank you so much for coming on and, uh, and sharing your journey with everyone. Yeah, it's been great, Brian. I appreciate you having me on your show. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that great interview. And thanks again for stopping by the Just Get Started podcast. Uh, grateful to have you here. And if I could just make one quick ask before you run along on your day. You know, I've grown this podcast organically over the last three plus years. And it's from the great listeners that pick up, you know, a quote or a key learning or just enjoy the entertainment of the podcast. And they share it out to their audience. They leave a review on Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. Um, and I'd ask that for you as well. If you've made it to this point and are listening in, um, a lot of the podcast uh, platforms that you listen on have a share button right there where you can share it out to your audience on various platforms. So I would be so appreciative if you wouldn't mind taking a quick second to do that um, if you really enjoyed this episode. So thanks again. I'm happy to connect online. I always love to meet new people. So if you want to go to my website, brianandraco.com or connect with me. I'm at Brian Andreco, basically everywhere on Instagram, Twitter, even Clubhouse, that new app that's out there. Uh, you name it. So uh, follow me online and uh, certainly look forward to connecting further. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Mm-hmm.